At Encova Insurance, we encircle you with insurance solutions you can trust. We provide coverage to protect what you care about. Business insurance, including workers' compensation, auto, home, and life insurance. What makes us unique? Our superior financial strength, smart technology, a one-stop shop for custom-tailored solutions. Encova 360, our approach to workers' compensation and local decision-making. We are Encova Insurance. Visit Encova.com for more information. Infirmary Media. Start. People engage in stop for jewel in decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jewel in decades. Broadcasting from the new Infirmary Media Studios. It's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in the week experience. First off, he's the current Dueling Decades champion, battling with the first week of October 1982. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Man Crush. What's up? Let's do this. It's finally fall. It's cold outside. It's fucking rainy. I'm finally wearing my hoodie to play this game. I'm ready. Let's go. And his opponent, dueling with the first week of October 1994, is, well, me, Mark James. I have been tag team partners with Man Crush for a long time. And tonight, the Mama Lukes explode because I'm coming for the title. Is this the first time that I've ever gone against you? No. <laughs> and as always, we need someone to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So he's back, ladies and gentlemen, a loyal listener and now part of the Dueling Decades family, Judge Eric Cluey. Oh, well, thanks for having me back. Uh, I got the call as an emergency backup for tonight. And just remember, when he says no, I say yes. <laughs> I, you know, it worked out perfectly. It's a Thursday night right now. I was like, you know what? Eric said he's free on Thursday nights. Why not? And next week we got uh, Jenna Droulet is another listener. She's coming on and she's going to be our next uh, listener turned judge. So it's a pretty exciting month for us. Oh, nice. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules and is for the Dueling Decades Championship. A judge's coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and for the week experience, hot products is replaced with sports. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Duelers, I feel the need. The need for... Dueling Decades. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go down to Judge Eric Cluley for the official toss-off. All right, uh, this time I actually knew I had to do a coin toss. As it was posted on uh, the Facebook page, Mask was released this year, the Mobile Armored Strike Command. So I have the DVD Complete Collection uh, box set. 
I'm going to flip that. You're going to flip the box set? Well, I took the DVDs out, so it's just the box. It's not going to hurt anything. Oh, All right, good. Nice. <laughs> right. So uh, it's actually one of my favorite shows from back then. It's, oh, uh, it's a fucking great show. A totally underrated show like we posted it, on the it's group. It's honestly, that... it's G.I. Joe and Transformers combined. Yeah, you just what? you don't hear that much about it, but definitely go back and watch it again. Because All I, right. That kid was ugly, but Jesus, don't say he's like a Transformer combined <laughs> with a G.I. Joe. Well, he, he got on that T-ball or whatever, uh, whatever it was called, uh, and, and rode that son bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, so who's calling it? Uh, Mark. Mark is a challenger. Right. Mark, you got front his heads, back his tails. Uh, I want the side with Rocky Dennis on it. <laughs> so give me heads. <laughs> all right. And it landed on its side. Well, all right. So uh, we'll go with heads. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a second flip. It can't land on its side. All right. Second flip. <laughs> oh, it went tails. Oh, all right. All right. Man, man crushes baby and works. <laughs> Mark's like, of course, of course that's going to happen. <laughs> Well, this, All this... right, Man Crush, you got control of the board. What category are we <sighs> starting with? All right, we're going to start. This works for some people, so I'm going to start out with movies. Ooh. Ooh. We'll go with, with the strongest first, you know what I'm saying? All right, movies, October 1st, 1982. Uh, you know what? This is why I love the week experience, because sometimes you just don't get the movies you typically expect from a regular episode because we have the entire month to pick from, especially with the early eighties, you don't really have a ton of movies anyways that get released every week. They did it more strategically back then. So you might get lucky to get a super good week or you might get hung out to dry. And then in that event, you just got to dig and find something special. So this reminds me a lot of a couple months ago where I had to use hands of steel as a selection. This is a movie that was written by Michael Nesmith. Same one from the monkeys. He wrote this it actually stars a young Fred Ward. So how can you go wrong? Michael Nesmith from the monkeys, Fred Ward, whatever. Part sci-fi, part Western time rider. The adventures of Lyle Swan. Uh, it ended up taking up about $6 million in the box office worldwide. So that's about $16 million in 2019. I'd actually love to locate this and watch it. It sounds like something that's right in my alley. This is what it's about. Maverick motorbike racer Lyle Swan, Fred Ward, wanders into a top-secret time travel research test site and unintentionally teleports him to the mid-1800s. From there, Lyle ends up having to fight violent outlaws for his survival. So that's my first movie is Time Rider. The Adventures of Lyle Swan, and we're going to follow that one up with another October 1st, 1982 release. Once again, I found some more schlock to include because one thing that we really miss these days, and Mark and I were just at the drive-in a couple weeks back, we missed that drive-in experience. In the early 80s, You know, there was still a bunch of these movies that were primarily made for the drive-in, and I'd categorize both Time Rider and my next pick into that category. One of the other things that's always dicey are the release dates on these types of movies. I'm getting these right from the newspaper and they say like now playing and things like that. So 
don't argue with me on this shit because it's all over. You're going to see fucking years all over the place, but it's October 1st, 1982. Uh, so for this pick, I have The Sorceress. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. It's a New World Pictures release, John Corman, but it was written by Jim Wynerski. So what does that mean, Mark? If you, Jim Wynerski did it, what does that mean? It's got a lot of boobies in it's, it. It's got a lot of boobs. <laughs> That's right. And uh, only a couple days into our uh, Halloween watch list, we just had uh, yesterday, matter of fact, we had Jim Renarski's Chopping Mall on the list. So that gives you a little bit of an idea what this type of movie could be about. But this one actually, from what I'm reading, has a lot more boobs in it than uh, Chopping Mall. Uh, interesting wow. tidbit about this movie. Tidbit? A little, little interesting tidbit <laughs> about this movie. Uh, it was actually directed by Jack Hill, who's actually the same guy that directed Coffee. And he wrote and directed, actually, Coffee and Foxy Brown. He's actually credited as the one that discovered Pam Greer. Uh, wow. But, I remember when I discovered <laughs> Pam Greer. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> and I, I called him Roger, John Corman before. I meant Roger Corman. But uh, <laughs> Roger Corman ends up recutting the movie himself. Shocker. And he took Jack Hill's name off the movie and replaced it with a new director, Brian Stewart, which is just a combination of Roger Corman's son's first names, which is pretty fucked up. But and it actually <laughs> ended up being uh, Hill's last movie that he ever did. Wow. Yeah. So my two picks for this round, we got Sorceress and Time Rider, The Adventures of Lyle Swan. Nice. I don't know if my two movies are going to be as schlocky as yours, but uh, they might not be much better. <laughs> so we're going to Can't start wait. October 7th, 1994. And when you think of like action and suspense in the 90s, there's always a lot of names that pop out. You know, you had people like Eric Roberts and uh, Sylvester Stallone and James Woods, and they were all great, except when you throw them all in a movie together with Sharon Stone. Released October 7th, 1994, is The Specialist. Ah. Uh, yeah. Great shower scene. Great shower scene if you like uh, looking at Stallone's ass. And who doesn't? Yeah, the shower scene's great. Matter of fact, Stallone had a quote about that himself. He was saying, you know, let it be known that he didn't want to do the scene because Sharon Stone, I guess she was not cooperating so well on the set. Wow. She's not so much too into that nudity. And uh, she didn't want to take off her towel, so he had the set completely cleared, and uh, she still didn't want to take off the towel. He asked her what the problem was, and uh, she said that she was sick of all the nudity in films. So he asked her if she could just get sick of it on somebody else's film. <laughs> so he went back to his trailer and got a bottle of death vodka that was given to him by Michael Douglas. And after a half a dozen shots, we were wet and wild, said Stallone. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, she was a little trepidatious in the beginning, and that's probably, like, the highlight of the whole movie is uh, The Specialist. The movie is boring as fucking all get out. <laughs> that that James Woods scene where he's in the police station and makes the bomb real quick is the dumbest scene ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, is this supposed to be cool? Because it's, it's not. <laughs> all right, so we'll move on to my second movie, and it's a movie that I really like. Action-packed, just like The Specialist. Released October 7th, 1994, I give you the Academy Award-nominated Quiz Show, directed by Robert Redford. I own this movie on VHS. I got a copy of it right here behind me. 
I've seen this many times. Fantastic. Not action-packed. I was kidding about that. Of course, the movie stars John Turturro, Ray Fiennes, Hank Azaria, Christopher McDonald, directed, of course, like I said, by the great Robert Redford. It tells the story of Charles Van Dorn, who was on a, a game show called Quiz Show, and the game show was fixed. And uh, it's about the the story of how they uncovered the fixing of this game show. Of course, it's all based on a true story. So if you're really interested in early game shows and or early television and broadcasting like I am, fantastic movie. I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, Great performance by John Turturro. The movie went on to be nominated for four Oscars for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Paul Schofield, Best Director for Robert Redford, and uh, best writing and screenplay. Starting to see a real theme here with you, Mark. Last episode, you had eight men out, and now this episode, you're coming with Quiz Show. A lot of cheating going on. (laughs) There is a lot of cheating going on. Do you know all my picks before I even give them? I don't. They haven't been given to me yet. (laughs) I don't think you'd have to try too hard to cheat on this one, though. Uh Well, he did, yeah, he'd have to try pretty hard to figure out my two picks for movies. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so that's what I got for mine two, The Specialist and Quiz Show. So over to Judge, Eric Cluley. All right. Um, my my ruling's got to be based solely on the fact that I didn't see either of Nick's movies. Uh, I saw both of Mark's and actually liked both of Mark's. Uh, so it's going to go to 94. However, with, yeah! with the caveat that I'm going to go find Time Rider. And I, we, may, <laughs> we may have to put an asterisk next to this one, and I may come back and uh, overrule this later. <laughs> I believe you have to say, Time Rider, Time the Rider. adventures of Lyle, Lyle Swan, Swan, every I, time you say it. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Time uh, Rider, the adventures of Lyle, Lyle Swan. Swan. Now, the, the sorceress I'm not interested in seeing, uh, based on your... <laughs> <laughs> there's some weird like if you read up on the sorceress it, there's tons of nudity in it i already read and well i'm an adult so <laughs> well it's about these twins if i was a 12 year old kid and they get naked with each other and shit i don't know it's fucking sounds weird check it out it's a it's a roger corman fucking jim winerski film it's made for the drive-in yeah you see it once, you have fun, you never need to see it again. Exactly. I'll tell you what, if it if it's playing at the Mahoning, let me know. We'll go check it out. All right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. I can, I can get down with that, though. Mark gets round one. I kind of figured that's how it was going to go. That's why I started out with movies. All right. So, you know what? We started off with movies. Let's go to music for round two. Mm, juggernaut. Kind of doing the show here in reverse. I'm going to start off with my first album. Released October 3rd, 1994. No need to argue. The second album by the rock band The Cranberries. Of course, this was the album that contained the iconic song Zombie uh, and a few other hits as well, of course. But Zombie was really <laughs> the one song <laughs> that stuck out for me. It's, I think it's the only Cranberries song that I like. You can't go wrong with Zombie. Come on. It was inspired by an IRA bombing. In Cheshire, England, on March 20th, 1993, where two children, Jonathan Ball and Tim Perry, were killed. Uh, lead singer Dolores Rudin said, Dolores, oh, I'm not. Arirden? Arirden? Arirden. 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 You got to say it. Arirden. Arirden. There you go. <laughs> or just Dolores. Yeah, the lead singer, Dolores, claims that the song Zombie speaks out about the Irish fight for independence 
and that it seems to last forever. The lyrics even say that it's the same old theme since 1916. You know, I've, I've heard this song a thousand times. I really thought it was about the living dead, not about Irish independence. Kind of ruins it for me. <laughs> but uh, so that's my first album. We're going to go with the Cranberries. <laughs> just think about all the people you just ruined it for. Well, it ruined it for me, goddammit. So, uh, August 3rd, 1994, No Need to Argue by the Cranberries. Thought it was all about George Romero. Uh, oh, by the way, this album sold pretty well. Um, it went seven times platinum in the United States, three times platinum in the United Kingdom, five times platinum in Europe, and, oh, it's also sold 17 million albums worldwide. So, uh, yeah, that's my first entry. My second entry, released October 3rd, 1994. I give you the album Head Seed by Mo. Uh, I absolutely love this album. Mo's not a band you're very familiar with. I'm not surprised. They're a staple of the early 90s jam band scene, playing with other bands such as the Allman Brothers, Dave Matthews, Fish, Government Mule, Blues Traveler. Kind of what keeps Mo at the forefront of the music scene is they have a lot of energy in their live show, ferocious guitar riffs, uh, really intricate rhythms. It's kind of a blend of Southern rock, funk, bluegrass, jam, hybrid. It was their second album, and it gave us their hit songs Akimbo, Mexico, Timmy Tucker, and St. Augustine, which would remain staples in their playlist to this very day and appears on all their greatest hits. So you've never heard it, but I highly recommend you go out and check it out. Head Seed by Mo. All right, that's what I got for my two picks. Man Crush, over to you. And this is where I take control of the board back. October 4th, 1982. <laughs> Uh, we get the 11th <laughs> studio album from this pop rock duo. The album went two times platinum, featured three top 10 Billboard Hot 100 singles. Of those three singles, it features the group's largest hit ever. Let me just say, like, not too many groups have 11 studio albums, and the group I'm talking about is none other than Hall & Oates, and the album is H2O, but the band went on to release 18 studio albums. And they actually, this was what I found remarkable, because I never knew this, they released an album every year from 1972 to 1982. That's amazing. And then for some reason, they skipped 1983. Go figure. Uh, and this album actually snapped that streak. But 11 albums in as many years, it's astonishing to me. Uh, out of all the 18 albums they had, their biggest hit ever, Maneater, was on H2O. That track itself spent four weeks on the top of the Billboard Hot 100 at number one. Um, let's just get on to the next one. There's not much like, not like the name of your band, Mule, Mo, Mo the Mule. Just Mo. Mo. I'm not, I don't, I don't need to like explain how good it is. You just know it's fucking Hall and Oates. All right. But the second one, October 1st, 1982, this was actually tough because I had two choices to go with. And instead of the solo debut album that I could have chose, I decided to go with the 17th and final album from the legendary musician. Said album went three times platinum, sold roughly 6 million copies worldwide. That being said, I would say it's it's probably responsible for more than 6 million babies worldwide as well. That's because this is Marvin Gaye's most successful album of his entire career, and it includes a two-time Grammy Award-winning track, Sexual Healing. The album appropriately named Midnight Love, and I would venture to say that sexual healing might be the biggest 
we're going to fuck song of all time. Or at least it's neck and neck with his other we're going to fuck jam. Let's get it on. Either way, it's completely timeless. People are still boning to sexual healing 37 years later. Fucking kids littered throughout the world because of this shit. And who was it that brought up the Roland TR-808 as a hot product a couple months ago? Might have been Joe. All right. Well, this was one of the first albums to use the Roland TR-808. Of course, it's the iconic beat machine, sound machine, whatever you want to say. But yeah, that's what I got for this one. We're going to ha- go with uh, Hall & Oates, H2O, and Marvin Gaye, Midnight Love. Damn. Off to the judges. Solid entries. Yeah, this one uh, kind of flips it right back, as he said, back in his favor, Man Crush. It's going to take this one. 11th studio album, 17th studio album versus second and last. And, uh, I, never I'm heard actually of. shocked at how much the Cranberries <laughs> sold. That's a fucking huge album. Enormous numbers. Oh, it, it, it's still parodied today. I, like, I still see memes about it all, almost on a regular basis. But that's their song, the one and only that I know of theirs. I think I had both their albums, and I can't tell you another song of <laughs> theirs. And you probably should own a Mo album. You know. <laughs> you Everyone should. <laughs> well, now that you fucking sold it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, and, you know, I probably don't know Paul Notes. I know if I hear them, but I, I don't actually know their music, but I know all of them. And Sexual Healing, I mean, I put that on every time I'm alone. <laughs> I told you. It's a fucking Let's Fuck song. <laughs> Who cares if it's your hand? <laughs> all right, Man Crush. Board's back in your control. What category are we going with? You know what? Like, everything is pretty even, I would say. We did movies. We did music. Let's save television. Let's do do news. It's a nice middle round for news. All right. So we begin October 1st, 1982. The article is titled, Center of Futuristic Fantasy. And I read a couple paragraphs from this article real quick. Uh, When the gates of Walt Disney World's Epcot Center near Orlando, Florida, were opened for the first time Friday morning, many Americans might not have noticed. Epcot is like a poorly kept but still obscure secret with periodic words slipping out to the well-tuned ears. No traffic tie-ups in Orlando highways. Hotel reservations still relatively easy to arrange. In fact, Disney officials cautiously and unofficially expected as low as 10,000 opening day guests. And many of those were expected to be reporters. And they go on and on about the whole thing. We all know what Epcot is. I just wanted to read that part because they didn't tell anybody about this. And they still expected 10,000 people to show up. And they expected 7 million for the year. Uh, just Jeez. in comparison's sake, last year Epcot had over 13 million visitors. Uh, it actually ranks as the fourth most visited theme park in North America. Seven most most visited theme park in the world. And of all theme parks, especially the ones in Florida, growing up as a kid, I remember Epcot the most, like going nation to nation, having my passport stamped, going to Spaceship Earth, and which, of course, is the giant globe, which is, you know, if you think of Epcot Center, you think of the giant globe. I don't know. That's what I remember is growing up as a kid was going to Disneyland or Disney World and going to Epcot. Yeah, we're actually going and doing it in a few months and we're going down to Disney, going to Epcot. Epcot's the shit. And like, I think at the time I didn't really want to do that. I thought it was going to be boring because I was just a kid. 
And then as we got going and you go to all the different nations and you see all the different shit, you eat all the different food from each place. It was pretty awesome. So that's what I remember growing up. Which one had that carousel thing? Was that in Disney World or Epcot? You're you're on this carousel. It's an indoor theater and you go through the decades with this family. That's in the ball. That that isn't yeah, that okay, that is so that's yeah, in Space Shepard. That's an Epcot. That actually yeah. makes me think of dueling decades when I think of that freaking yes. piece right there. Because you go with this family and you go decade by decade and shit changes yeah. you know for each decade. My favorite part was the very end because you got to choose your journey home and you could choose by going underwater, by space, air, yep. by by space. That was really cool. I haven't been there in like 10 years, so I can only imagine how much it's- uh... I'll let you know. I was there uh, roughly three years ago, and uh, it's still awesome. I don't, I didn't do the whole globe, planet Earth, or whatever it's called, <laughs> but I ate Mongolian beef and uh, had drinks nice. in almost every country, <laughs> and it was amazing. That in itself, as an adult, was awesome, because they just changed that at Disney World. You weren't actually allowed to have any alcohol. Unless you like got it yeah. at like one of the stations, whereas Epcot, you could drink beer and shit there. So it's pretty awesome as an right. adult. You can go there. I am bound and determined to celebrate 420 around <laughs> the earth. <laughs> That's one way to do it. All right. Anyhow, moving on. October 7th, 1982. And this for me is new. This is new territory because we never talk about shit like this. But I had a, I, you know what? It's so big. That And it was so newsworthy that I grabbed an article from a paper in California just to show you how big it was in our area. Uh, if you grew up in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you watched WPIX and WOR on the regular. Those were like our local yokel stations. And you probably saw thousands and thousands of commercials over your childhood for cats playing at the Winter Garden Theater. All the fucking time you saw this fucking shit. All like it was on every commercial break. The play itself was routinely sold out all the way until 2000 when it was finally pulled from the Winter Garden Theater. The show had six million dollars in ticket presales, which was a record at the time. Uh, Ran for a record breaking 7,485 shows at the time, making it the longest running Broadway show until that was broken by Phantom and their Opera in 2006. In the 90s, there was an analysis done that showed that Cats was responsible for $3 billion in economic impact for New York City. That's fucking insane for a play. And I've never seen it because plays are not my thing, but it's also coming out as a live action movie in 2019. So this shit's got legs, man. So my two news stories, we got Epcot Center opening and we got the Broadway opening of Cats. What do you got? All right. We're going to go to October 1st, 1994, where South African President Nelson Mandela visits the United States. The South African newly elected President Mandela made his first state visit to the United States, which includes dinner with President Bill Clinton, and he stopped in to speak with Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Uh, He spoke October 7th at a sold-out luncheon at the ballroom at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., uh, Gil Klein recalled the uh, the bedlam that surrounded Mandela as his admirers thought to shake his hand or to speak with him. What I remember most about Nelson Mandela was his inner peace, his perfect calmness. There was turmoil all around him. It didn't bother him, Klein wrote, in recollection of the event. 
So Nelson Mandela, one of his many visits to uh, the United States, October 1st, 1994. Second news story is October 3rd, 1994, and that is the day that Gary Larson announces that he is retiring from doing the Far Side cartoon. By late 1994, Larson thought that the series was getting a little bit repetitive, and he didn't want to enter what they called the graveyard of mediocre cartoons. So, on October 3rd, 1994, he announced that he would be retiring the series, and the series finally ended on January 1st, 1995, when he was 44 years old. Since retiring, Gary Larson had kind of gone into seclusion, really hadn't get a lo- doesn't give a lot of interviews to the press, and he avoids being on TV. Did a few promotional pieces for the far side for the merchandising, but other than that, we really haven't seen anything from Gary Larson. So on October 3rd, 1994, he announces that the far side will be coming to an end. Hey, let me just point out, I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. You said he hasn't been in the Gary po- Larson? <laughs> I would be like, I don't fucking know who he is. <laughs> no, nobody could, but <laughs> he looks like the amoebas. <laughs> uh, he shapes. <laughs> This podcast is supported by Oasis, a paychecks company. Oasis helps small and medium-sized businesses to simplify back-office complexities like payroll, benefits, HR, and compliance. With Oasis, you can continue to run your business fearlessly. Learn more at oasisadvantage.com slash podcast. All right, so over to Judge Eric Cluley for the verdict. All right, this finally around that uh, isn't so as clear-cut and easy. Gary Larson retiring, that, that's actually pretty big. The far side, uh, I remember my kindergarten teachers always had a far side calendar. You know, we, we would review it every day and she'd tear it off and throw it away. <laughs> Having said that, I'm still going I'm still going to go with uh, 82 on this because I absolutely love Epcot and I hate cats because of those commercials that you were talking about. <laughs> At the Winter Garden Theater. <laughs> <laughs> every day, a thousand times a day. But, uh, I mean, that's a huge... A huge part of my life because of that. I I absolutely remember that. And the minute you said it, I was like, "Yeah, man, fuck that show." You know what's <laughs> you know what's crazy? It was just on. I think I was watching NXT two weeks ago, or was it last week? And before NXT started on the network, it was it on the network. Maybe it was maybe not. Maybe I take that back. It was on VOD for Spectrum, and the commercial was Cats before NXT, which is fucking weird. Because nobody that's watching NXT is watching Cats. No, probably not. I could still see that commercial like clear as day. And you got to figure, 82, I was two. So it continued long enough that it was still burning its way into my mind. And this shit was sold out all the time. I remember like my mom talking about wanting to go to see it. But every time they tried to buy tickets, not like today where you had all these secondary markets where you could jump on StubHub and find a ticket. Shit was sold out. It was sold out back then unless you were buying it from a scalper, which who wanted to do that shit? So yeah, that's a big deal. All right, Man Crush, over to you for the next round and the start of our two-point rounds. Okay. Uh, It really doesn't make a difference. They're both two points. Let's go sports. I don't want to finish on sports. Because especially since I love doing hot products and I was almost going to search for a hot product in the week, but I knew it was unfair to you to try to find something too. And it's, it would be so hard to find it in one week. So we went with sports. And hot products is actually my, one of my favorite parts of the show too. So I always hate when we do a, a one week and I'll have to go to sports, but. Well, here it is. <laughs> October, October 5th, 1982 at the infamous Brendan Byrne Arena. 
all right, it's not really that infamous, but if you if you're like me and you grew up in this area, you've seen a bunch of concerts there. Of course, this is over at uh, East Rutherford where the uh, the Jets play. It's in the same complex. Mark seen concert there as well. I think years ago you said you saw Iron Maiden there, so you know the place. Oh, the Izod. Yeah, or the Izod. They, but back <laughs> then it was Brendan Byrne. Uh, so it's a special place for a lot of us. But anyhow. We all heard about the myth of the Jersey Devil. So why not ho- start a hockey franchise and name it the New Jersey Devils? Uh, over 10,000 New Jersey residents voted on that name, which I think is pretty fucking awesome. I think every franchise should do that, not stick us with some bullshit name. They should just ask the people, poll us, yeah. see what fucking name we want, and then we'll go from there. Uh, but the three-time Stanley Cup winning franchise began it all with a 3-3 three to three tie against the Pittsburgh Penguins on October 5th, 1982. Of course, they got their first ever win a couple days later against the New York Rangers. Typical. Mark and I both being Rangers fans. Uh, the, yeah. uh, the <laughs> Flyers fan. Well, I'm sure they didn't beat the Flyers this year because they ended up finishing the season 17-49-14. They were the second worst team in the league. Although, I think... Probably since the 90s, they've become one of the better franchises over the years. Sometimes I wish I was a Devils fan, but that's where I'm going for my first news story, October 5th, 1982. It's the first game for the New Jersey Devils and, and in a tie. It's like kissing your sister. Almost like the sports round, but this one's kind of <laughs> cool. I didn't realize that franchise was that young. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought they were a little bit older than that. Actually, they were another franchise before that. And they just move, change the name, all that fun shit. Uh, October 3rd, 1982, with the NFL in the midst of a 57-day strike during the 1982 season, CBS sent crews to four Division Three football games. Uh, its contract with the NCAA called for it to broadcast four Division Three games each year, which I never fucking knew or saw. But with, they were playing NFL reruns during the strike, and the the ratings were shit. So they were like, fuck it. You know what? Let's do them all in one day. So on October 3rd, 1982, CBS's top football announcer, Pat Summerall, kicked off Sunday afternoon football in Springfield, Ohio. We're in the heartland of America, Springfield, Ohio, Summerall said. This is the stadium, Wittenberg Stadium, the home of the Tigers. It seats 7,000, and today it's just about packed. Good afternoon, and well, we know it's Division Three football. They're not as big as the players in the NFL for sure. They're probably not as talented as they are in the NFL, but they still play with the same amount of intensity, and they still like the game just as much as whatever they play at whatever level. Believe me, after 31 years of every Sunday being associated with the NFL, either as a player or broadcaster, it's nice to be on campus. And of course, he broadcasts that game with his broadcasting partner, John Madden. Can you imagine... A Division Three football game <laughs> on CBS on a Sunday with Pat Summerall and John Madden and the entire crew was out there. Like everybody that they use for the games on Sundays, they had at this game. It was fucking crazy. But the thing about, I don't know how much you know about the strike in 82. The NFL skipped eight weeks. They played the first two weeks that season and then they didn't come back until around the third week of November. Can you imagine this shit occurred in 2019 and you were watching wow. Division Three football 
on CBS. <laughs> wow. I'm still not watching Division Three football. I don't care. I, I play Division Two football. <laughs> hey, you could have had a shot at being on uh, CBS. But yeah, those are my two stop stories for uh, the first week of October 1982. We had the first game ever for the New Jersey Devils. And we had Division Three football on CBS on Sundays because of the NFL strike. Wow. All right, man, Chris. Well, I'm going to take your two stories and kind of combine them into one story because you had the NFL on strike and you had some hockey. On October 1st, 1994, the NHL announced that they were going to lock out the season and go on strike. <laughs> where not as many people cared. <laughs> <laughs> The lockout was a uh, was subject to a uh, a dispute between the players. Of course, they wanted more collective bargaining. The owners wanted to help the franchisers that had a weaker market, as well as to make sure that they could cap the uh, higher salaries that were continually rising in the NHL. Uh, the lockout would eventually lead to two Canadian teams moving to the United States. The Quebec Nordiques moved to Denver in the summer of 95 and became the Colorado Avalanche. And the Winnipeg Jets moved to Phoenix and became the Phoenix Coyotes. The lockout would ultimately end on January 11th, 1995. As a result, the league shortened the season from 84 games down to just 48. The season would last from January 20th to May 3rd which is the first and only time in NHL history that the regular season has extended into the month of May. So the lockout started October 1st, 1994, caused some major shakeups in the NHL. That's my first news story. Second news story is October 5th, 1994. The NBA shortens the three-point distance to a uniform 22 feet. In an effort to increase scoring, the NBA's competition committee voted to shorten the three-point line to a uniform 22 feet from the previous 23 feet. And then what happened was Orlando Magic forward Dennis Scott set a single-season three-point record for the most three-pointers with 267 during the 95-96 season. Sounds really impressive. They shorten the three-point line. They're jacking up more points. But, you know, of course, a few seasons later, they would move it back to the 23 feet 9 inches. They would continue on at the extended distance. And then, of course, in 2015-2016 season, Stephen Curry would then shatter all records with 402 three-pointers at the extended distance. But for that for like two or three seasons, we had a shortened three-point line. Scoring went up. Steve Kerr was killing it at the line for the Bulls. That's what I got for sports, October of 1994. All right. Off to Eric Cluley for the ruling. This one's actually really close. So um, Jersey Devils are one of my hated teams, along with the Rangers and Penguins as a Flyers fan. Makes sense. Them coming to ex into existence, you know, cursed that day. <laughs> <laughs> the NHL lockout and part of your story, uh, the football strike, they kind of cancel each other out, but Pat Summerall and John Madden doing D3 football coverage, that, <laughs> that is kind of awesome. And as a guy who played uh, lower level college football, that would have been amazing. I mean, you said they held 7,000. I did D D2 where we held 35,000, I think my stadium held. Quite a leap over that, but even the fact that my high school held more people than a game that John Madden and Pat Summerall were covering. That's that's really fun to me. He's a sociology major. Boom! <laughs> and I, like the, the great part about, I don't know if, how much you, know, you guys know about John Madden, but he never flew. 
He would always take right. the bus. Oh no, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't fly anywhere. So no. he actually drove his car to Springfield, Ohio, by himself. Because wow. at the time, this is 1982. This is before the video games and everything else. This is just him after the retirement the of being a yeah. There's no bus. This dude just drove <laughs> out to this D3 game. <laughs> he had a bus with. D3 college athletes on the <laughs> side of it. He's giving them fucking turkey legs and shit. John Madden pulls up in his little Dodson hatchback. Where can I park? Oh, that that's a pretty cool story. Uh, as somebody who played college football, I'm, I'm I'm I have to go I have to go with that just because that's just really cool. The the three point line being shortened. I, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Especially since they moved it back, I think. Yeah, it's like a non-issue. It's I don't know. It's like the, it's making the crease smaller in hockey. Like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> good, good for you. I, I hope that helps your ratings, but it didn't. Yeah, I think that's just really cool. Like, if I was just playing this little D three football game with seven thousand people showing up, almost a full stadium, Pat Summerall and John Madden are gonna be broadcasting. Be like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, and this was four games this is just one game that they're highlighting but they did this for four (laughs) different teams so that's pretty fucking awesome for cbs like should i blow my jock strap for this one or (laughs) (laughs) should i free ball this uh that that's pretty cool and uh you know those guys if you go back and talk to any of those guys playing that i mean i'm sure they're all like clerks or <laughs> work at the Mahoning Drive-In or something like that now, but I bet you that's the highlight of their life. Pat Summer on John Madden broadcasting one of their games, man. That's pretty cool. All right, so that means I keep the title because that's uh, four to one. But let's play this last round just for prosperity's sake. I'm gonna let you start this one, Mark, because that um that's the kind of guy I am. I'm salt of the earth, baby. <laughs> You salty sack is what you are. <laughs> That's why I use Manscaped. Use the code decades at manscaped.com for 10% off your order. And I'm not kidding. That's real. Really use that. that. Is. If you're going to shave your balls, you need Manscaped. Go over there, grab that stuff. Use code decades, get 10% off. All right. What do you got for television, Mark? All right. Debuting October 1st, 1994. I give you. Wildcats, covert action teams created by Jim Lee, of course, the legendary comic books artist Jim Lee. Uh, It was based on Wildstorm Comics and now, of course, owned by DC. But it was a half hour animated television series that was on CBS for one season between October 1st, 1994 and January 21st, 1995. Of course, it was mostly made because of the growing trend between cartoons and action figures you had the teenage mutant ninja turtles had just hu- had just hit huge skeleton warriors you had all kinds of other great street sharks oh street sharks you had uh <laughs> sectors rock lords street sharks street sharks <laughs> <laughs> love that cartoon Dino Riders, which was my all-time favorite, but uh, Wildcats. Of course, what made Wildcats so special is because it was based off a comic book and created by the legendary Jim Lee. (laughs) I thought you were going to say because they were wild. Yes, because they were wild. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually the the, the Broadway Cats people released to to the rest of the world. (laughs) Go do your thing on your own. Be Wildcats. And what theater are they playing at? 
at the Winter Garden <laughs> Theater. <laughs> All right. So for my second television selection, we will go to the night of October 4th, 1994. I give you season four, episode three of Home Improvement, Death Begins at 40. Harry from the hardware store has a mild heart attack as Tim turns 40. Tim is worried and goes off the deep end about getting healthy. The boys give him a tool man figure made out of his tools. That sounds way dirtier than it should. (laughs) (laughs) And Jill gets him a ride on a jet. I'd rather have a ride on Jill. So yeah, home improvement. This show was absolutely huge. If you look at the ratings, uh, it was number one for the week. The rating score was a 20.3. I mean, that that is a huge number. Uh, It actually beat Seinfeld, which also, I think it had like either a 19 or a 20, but Home Improvement just beat it out. It was the number one show for the week. Death Begins at 40, Home Improvement, October 4th, 1994. All right. A couple deep cuts in there. I'm going to go with uh, October 2nd, 1982. And I kind of wish Mike Ranger was here for this because this show is his bread and butter. We get season five of Different Strokes. And uh, in season five, we get a brand new character to the mix. And she ends up staying all the way to the end, 1986. We get Mary Jo Catlett. She takes over as the new housekeeper in the series, playing Pearl Gallagher. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, out of all the maids who are on the show, this is the one that I personally remember the most. I grew up watching the show in the early 80s. So I really didn't see much of the uh, the Mrs. Garrett being on there until it was in syndication. Mary Jo had been on there like all the way to the end from when I watched it with all the Danny Cooksey shit and all the other stuff. Uh, but she's done a ton of stuff since. She's also the voice for Mrs. Puff. She's been that voice uh, for SpongeBob since uh, season one in 1999. And she's still alive at 86 years old. So make sure you guys knock on wood. Because we're uh, mentioning her right now, and I hate when we bring someone up and then they die. Because it's happened before, so let's please knock on the wood. I'm doing it again. That said, this is interesting, though. The other two maids that were on the show, of course, Charlotte Ray, Mrs. Garrett, and uh, Nedra Valls, who was Mrs. Brubaker. She was the one in the middle. She was the super old one. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Not a clue. (laughs) <laughs> well, both of them lived into their 90s. Charlotte Ray passed away at 92, and Nedra Valls lived to be 94. And wow. uh, Mary Jo Catlett's 86 right now. I mean, you're talking about uh, those maids reaching the 90s. She's got a couple more years. Let's see if she can get past 94. Uh, but it, And it's pretty crazy in comparison when you think about, unfortunately, Dana Plato and Gary Coleman dying so early. You got these other characters that are living so long. Pretty nuts. Anyhow. Well, they weren't the maid. They weren't. They weren't. They were never working as much. She was a working woman. Uh, October 1st, 1982. We get our first glimpse at the guy that will become the 90s James Bond. I'm not going to beat around the bush too much on this one. It's Remington Steel. And the show lasted 94 episodes, five seasons on NBC before spending the last few decades in and out of syndication. I didn't want to give too much away because I wanted to see if you guys actually knew what Remington Steel was about. I had a conversation with somebody at work a couple weeks ago who claimed that they watched Remington Steel and had no fucking clue what Remington Steel was about. Do either one of you guys know what Remington Steel is about? Never watched it. Uh, never watched it. I, I I could tell you who was in it. I can see like the uh, you know the screenshot of him, but no, I I don't know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much Stephanie Zimbalist. 
Laura Holt was like the main character of the show with Pierce Brosnan. And she was a private investigator and she wanted to open up her own practice. So she hires Pierce Brosnan, who's kind of like a con man. And his real name's not even Remington Steele. That's like his his pseudonym. And he's running the agency. So people go to him. But ultimately, it's her that's doing all the stuff. And there's like a, a love interest between the two of them, like on and off. Like, you know, they're always at each other's throats and shit like that. Kind of like uh, like a moonlighting type deal, how they were. So she's the actual company, but she wants him to be the face of the company? Exactly. And that's what it was about. But here's why the show is ultimately important. I just wanted to make sure you guys knew what it was about. Now that you know, watch it if you want, whatever. But after the 1986 season, NBC canceled the show. So as soon as they canceled it, Cubby Broccoli, the producer for the James Bond films, he sprang to attention and immediately offers Pierce Brosnan in the role of James Bond. This is 1986. However, NBC decides, because they're getting like all these complaints from people that they canceled the show, they reversed the cancellation. And since they reversed it and Pierce was still under contract, Cubby Broccoli pulls the offer because he didn't want James Bond to be known as Remington Steele as well. He wanted James Bond to be James Bond, not somebody else. So he ended up giving the role to Timothy Dalton instead. And then on top of that, Stephanie Zimbalist, the Laura Holt character, she was actually supposed to be Lewis in RoboCop. Really? Yeah. And then because this whole thing happened, they ended up giving the part to Nancy Allen. Wow. I didn't know that end. Yeah. Can you imagine like if this happened there? I wasn't the biggest Pierce Brosnan fan as James Bond because I was a Roger Moore guy. But if it had started a little bit early, would we have gotten somebody else in the 90s? Would he have gone from the mid 80s all the way through the 90s? Like so much shit could happen. Yeah, I'm a huge James Bond fan and I love all the Pierce Brosnan movies. I'm also a huge Timothy Dalton fan. So yeah. License to Kill, probably my favorite Bond film. I think it's a really important story in the franchise. But would I have liked to have seen it with a young Pierce Brosnan? Yeah, I kind of would have. Even though I love Timothy Dalton in that movie, it kind of would have been cool to see Pierce in that. Yeah, so you could thank NBC for that one. But there it is. Uh, Remington Steel debuting, and we had uh, Pearl Gallagher starting up on different strokes. All right. Well, I guess we don't really have to go over to Judge Eric Cluley for the uh, verdict on this one. Sure we do. <laughs> sure we do. <laughs> but uh, I guess we'll do it anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, Wildcats, that was a show. They they all had their own jets, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're a breed of uh, warring alien tribes. Really cutting edge <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I, I, I remember the commercials. I don't think I ever actually watched that, though. Home Improvement, I did watch. The Remington Steel, I never watched, but I do know of it. And Different Strokes, I, I did watch. But I actually, while we were talking about this, I was Googling on my phone to, to see who uh, Mary Jo was. And if you Google her, the picture comes up. It looks like she's had a stroke because one eye is closed and one is open on the first picture you see, which is really creepy. No, no, that's Mary Jo <laughs> but a Foucault. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one, I'm going to give this to Man Crush, and, he and here's the only reason why. Because I've never seen Remington Steel, but I can picture that opening scene, uh, which for one reason or another, it's stuck in my head. So you got to assume that it has legs at that. So, Well, it's stuck around for five seasons, so it did something right. Yeah, I, um, and that, that's really the only reason. Uh, Speaking of Manscaped. 
a lot of chest hair in uh, Remington Steel. I am sure there was. <laughs> it's like uh, also the best fucking porn name ever. It kind of is. I, I still got to give that one to Peter North. <laughs> Peter North? Remington Steel is a pretty solid fucking porn name. I don't know if it's a real porn name, but if it was. And I say this again, Peter North. I know. <laughs> they still got nothing on uh, Richard Hammer. Oh, yeah, classic. One of my favorites. All right, Duelers. Well, I guess we're going to end this episode right here as I receive yet another ass whooping. I guess that's what happens when you challenge the champ. But don't worry. We'll be back with another episode next week. And in the meantime, if you've missed an episode, why don't you head on over to DuelingDecades.com where you can catch up on all of our past episodes. You can subscribe to them on iTunes, on CastBox, wherever you want. Also, head on over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades where you can join our private group, continue the conversation online, post some of your own great retro content. Let us know the things that you're interested in. Also, you can take part in our weekly competition. We have trivia going on all week where you can earn points to climb the ranks of the Dueling Decades leaderboards. Talking about champions. Yeah, we got Eric right here. Yeah, Eric is the number one point getter right now on the leaderboard. I don't even know where you're at. You're over 700 points, though. Barely hanging on, though. Barely hanging on. It's very close at the top. But if you guys start playing, you'd be just like Eric. If you're in that green zone, which is in the top 30, and you want to be a judge, you just let us know. How about Brian making a huge comeback this week? Yeah. We got Brian Brian Moreno. Jenna. Got a lot of people coming out. DJ Hiddle. All right, let, let me throw this out there, too, because we, we get this question a lot, and then we can uh, close up here. If you're thinking about playing the trivia, or if you do already, one of the things that pops up all the time, when we have these culminations, Mark and I set the answer ahead of time. So we have a map to that person ahead of time with multiple steps. So whatever we have is the answer, that's the answer. So if you find another connection and we're only like two or three rounds in, and somebody's got it and they won and you have another way, yours is not right. Because on the next round, we're going to throw you like a complete curveball and you're going to be like, oh, fuck, that guy's not in this. Right. It's just that you guys never get to like rounds four and five and six and seven. You guys are too good for that. Usually wrap it up around, you know, what? The three fourth four. round? Yeah, three and, or four. And, and he is speaking directly to me right now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not just you. I I get it. For, like, there's multiple people that say it to me. And they and I find it interesting when you guys give me these other pathways. But then I'll be like, I forgot what the last one was. And somebody asked me and I go, okay, that's great. And they were, I was like, but how would uh, Richard Pryor factor into that? Because that would be the next thing. Right. Yeah, you said that you to know? me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, well, I said it to multiple people. He was talking directly to you. See? <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there was one where I was like, they were on The Simpsons. And he's like, yeah, but this one, I was like, they were on The Simpsons. He's <laughs> like, all right. But not everybody was on The Simpsons. I was like, yes, they were. But we set it up ahead of time. So head on over to the Facebook group. Join up with all the other competitors. Play the trivia. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Hey, have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? 
head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time, you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.